Hi there. Welcome to episode number 15 of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. This is your host, Mireya Perez, and I am so glad to be back here with you today. It feels like I've not spoken to you in a while. So much has happened in between episodes that I'm not sure if I want to share it with you now or if I should share it with you later. You know what? You'll have to stick it out to the end. One thing that I would like to say is that by now, you should be seeing a reoccurring theme in the stories that language professionals share here. I'd like for you to pay close attention to today's guest story and how she's combined the love for several things into what she currently has today. Zenab Kauder is a certified court interpreter who has proudly served the Arabic community for 20 years as an interpreter and translator. Seeing a great need for the training of interpreters, she began serving as a coach and trainer over 10 years ago and continuously serves the community as a volunteer. She has fulfilled her calling as a teacher starting many years ago, teaching English language to students in Syria and Arabic for many private institutes in the United States. This training as a teacher led her to numerous study groups of interpreters, all focused on helping each interpreter achieve their own certification goals. One of the challenges for Arabic interpreters remains the wide range of Arabic dialects. The exam candidates that she prepares benefits from the fact that she understands the Arabic dialects of Syrian, Iraqi, Jordanian, Lebanese, Palestinian, Saudi, Abu Dhabi, Kuwaiti, and Egyptian. She started as an approved court interpreter in Austin, Texas in 2000. In 2016, she was provisionally qualified Superior Court of Interpreter in California. In 2017, she became a CCHI Court Certified Healthcare Interpreter. In 2019, certified by the Court State of Illinois Supreme Court. In 2020, certified by the State of Arizona Supreme Court. And later that year, she became CHIA's Interpreter of the Year. She's an active member of the American Translators Association, board member of the ATA Arabic Division, active member of the National Association of Judiciary Interpreters and Translators, and a member of the American Translators Association Committee. So, without further ado, here's Zenab Kauder. Zenab, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, saying yes to joining us and sharing your story. Oh, thank you. I'm really honored to be on this podcast. And it's uh, like a pleasure of mine talking to you and sharing my story. Thank you very much. My name is Zainab Kauder, and uh, let's t- I will tell you a little bit about my story. Uh, my dad was Syrian. My mom was Czech. I uh, was born in Czech Republic. We moved to Syria when I was like around five years old. I, I grew up ex- uh, being exposed to more than one language. Uh, my mom's second language was Russian and her first language was Czech. Uh, we spoke a mix of Czech and Arabic and having friends from uh, like the Russian languages around. We spoke also spoke a little bit of Russian. So uh, I was exposed at an early age to a lot of languages around me and I loved loved that and I loved, uh, you know, knowing more than language and helping my mom around, uh, you know, interpreting for her. At that time, I didn't know that was a career or anything. Right. Um, 
So like uh, then I went to Syrian schools. So I studied Arabic and like in Syria, everybody wants to be an engineer or a doctor. I didn't know what I wanted to be. My dad wanted me to be in, wanted me to be an engineer like him. So I studied agriculture, <laughs> ended up studying agriculture. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I didn't, want, I didn't really want to be an engineer. He was a civil engineer. And uh, I, I loved nature and languages and teaching. So I did study what they wanted me to study, but I didn't really feel that this is what I wanted to be. I always wanted to learn more English, so I was always uh, involved, like, in a lot of classes that was teaching English. I I loved teaching. I will tell you a little bit, like, when I was, I think, around 10, I I even invented my own language. You did? (laughs) Yeah, like, at history, we were studying all those, like, historical languages for the Egyptians and the Aramic and all those, so I kind of gathered some of those letters and made them into my own language and started like sending letters between me and my friends. I taught them like the languages and wow, <laughs> we started that's like you send- had your little language with them. Yeah, we had our secret letters <laughs> with my invented language for a while. Yeah, like so languages was something fascinating for me. I loved languages. I loved being around people who spoke different languages. And um, I loved helping people. So I was always kind of involved with foreigners that don't speak Arabic and try to help them out around. My dad was like an amazing person. He, he would sit there and we, we had like a one English uh, show every day at 10 o'clock in the evening. And he would read the Arabic transcript because his English was not that perfect. So he would read the Arabic transcript and in- interpret them to my mom in Czech. Oh. He was doing sight translation. I didn't know that at that time. So uh, he was doing this interpreting job also. And I was always like fascinated how fast he became like doing this. It was natural for him. He would like, he would sit and interpret even if my mom wasn't sitting there. (laughs) So for you, it was, you grew up listening to Arabic and to Czech. And at what point did you get into English? Uh, I think I was a sixth grader when I, wanted to learn English. In Syria, the second language was French. So they tried to enforce uh, French on us when we became uh, in middle school, but I did fight a lot. And like, I insisted on learning English and I didn't want to learn French. I didn't really like it. I know some French, but yeah. So I, I started learning at sixth grade. I took classes, private classes for English and I started learning English when I was a sixth grader. It was a British English, though. So we were strong enough in uh, grammar and writing and, you know, all those skills, but we were not very good in speaking the language. And at what point did you, was this transition made? At what point did you decide? Was this once you became an adult or did something happen uh, during your younger years that you thought, Mm. okay, definitely, I'd, I'd like to get a little bit more involved? Do you remember? Yes, I do. It was a fascinating story. So when I I got married, uh, I was like in my 20s. I moved to the state and I got married from my husband. He's a Syrian, but he like he spent like at least 30 years here in the state. So uh, I I started learning more English because I didn't really know what I wanted to be, even though I took a degree like in agriculture. But this is not what I wanted to be. So 
What I did is I studied English and I started volunteering in Sunday schools as a teacher uh, for Arabic. You're and in the States uh, now, right? Yes, now that's in the United okay. States, in the Bay Area. Okay. And then we moved to Texas. And at that time, I kind of knew that I wanted to work helping people. I, ha- I was always eager to help refugees and other people and, uh, you know, people who come new to the state and didn't know how, you know, to navigate around and stuff. So I was always helping volunteering with the language. And then what happened, I was also teaching. I, I seek credential in teaching. So I was a substitute teacher in like some point of my life. So it was a mixture between languages and teaching and <laughs> helping others I, I like I was almost I think 25 when I I got this great chance. A friend of mine, she was a professor. And we moved to Texas, and uh, she was a professor in the university there. And she came to me. She said, "We need a third interpreter at the court for this felony matter." And that was at the time when the first Iraqi war started. We had a lot of refugees, a lot of asylum cases, and stuff. So I said, I know nothing about this, you know, like, you want to take me to court to interpret? And I didn't know anything, you know, like, right. I'm really scared. I don't want to go there. I said, don't worry, you will be a third person. We already have two main interpreters. We just need an extra person. And I seen you doing it. You're great. You're... And she started pushing me. I said, okay, I will go and do it. <laughs> so I went to court. And I was sitting there in the jury box, listening to the interpreting and everything, and they had a problem. The person who was interpreting to the Iraqi defendant was from Tunisia, and they had a totally different dialect. They did not understand each other. So at that time, the judge appointed me as a main interpreter. (laughs) They gave me a crash course in 30 minutes, told me what to do. Oh no, you're like the just in case and then the in case happened. Yeah, and I loved it. It was like, I think five day trial and I loved it. I said, oh, this is what I want to be. So I went to college. I got some classes. Like when they found out there is an association and a lot of Spanish interpreters took me under their wings and helped me, you know, understand what's going on. I opened my own business was Eco Translation. And I started interpreting as a career. Like it was hobby that I loved. So I won't consider it a job. It's my hobby. I love it. You know, I'm always eager to learn more and know what's going on and help others, even if it's for free. You know, I, like, you know, those stories, I think, are the best stories. The stories of that one person that uh, convinces you, pushes you to, you know, challenge yourself despite your fear to do what it is that they're asking you to do. And I think that it's such a great moment for those that say, okay, okay, I'll do it, right? And then- Yeah, I'm so forever grateful for this person that she introduced me to this. I always knew there is in translation, but I never knew anything about interpretation, even though I was doing it. My dad was doing it. Like, we didn't know it's a career. We didn't know it's a job. And so I was more involved at the court in Texas and Austin, Texas, and uh, with the asylum offices, refugee centers, and women abuse shelters and stuff. And I loved it. Until now, <laughs> I love it. But I wasn't, like, I didn't become specialized, like, in legal. For, like, uh, I think, like, four years, I kept doing what I was doing. I had little children, so I didn't do it every day. I did as, you know, as convenient it was for me and my kids. 
But then we moved to Syria because my dad uh, had cancer. And I started working in the central bank and with tourists and stuff. So I did not, I wasn't working in the legal field. Uh, when the war started in Syria, we also came back a little bit like before uh, that my son came to college and we moved back. And I said, you know what? My husband was convincing me and pushing me. You need to go back to court. This is where you belong. This is what you liked. Just go for it. Do it. So I Good went job, to, yeah, I said like, I don't know if I'm ready, you know, legal is hard. We have to go back and study everything from the beginning. So what I did, I went to college and I took paralegal classes and criminal justice classes. I took about three semesters from e- for each and um, went to court and they took me as provisionally qualified and I loved it <laughs> in Orange County. Uh, in like during that, I was always trying to help other beginners to teach them and coach them. But I did not uh, create my teaching business until year 2020 because this is when I got my certificate. I got certified in Illinois and Arizona as a court interpreter, and I got the core uh, for medical. So because lately certification became something important. In the past, it was not. If you knew the language, if you had some experience, you're okay to do it. In California, it was different. You need to be certified. Right. So I I said, I'm not going to start teaching others and telling them I'm the best Arabic, you know, coach for, for you to become an interpreter until I get my certificate. This will prove that, you know, I'm eligible to teach you interpreting. So this is now I'm starting my coaching and training business. I worked with a great trainer. Like I said, Spanish interpreters and trainers always took me under their wings and they were were very helpful because we don't have any Arabic trainers. It took me five years just to find out what to study for the exam and what is the best trainer for me. It was always language neutral. I had to seek materials. I had to translate them, pay for translators who are great in that field to make sure that my translation is correct. And I gathered a lot of materials for my future training. And I just started now, you know, training because I think I'm the only one here (laughs) doing that for Arabic. And uh, I work with, I don't know if I should mention names, but Edgar Hidalgo, Virginia Valencia, Edgar Hidalgo. Like we did our first simultaneous training for court. And we are like, this is my first official training with continuing education units approved from Judicial Council and uh, CHI and oh, others. Oh, that's amazing. Zenab, I want to go back a little bit before we get further into what it is you're doing. Take us back for those of us that are not well-versed in the legal field or court interpreting. You mentioned the word professionally qualified. What does that mean? Uh, in uh, Orange County, to become professionally qualified, you have to uh, at least pass the written exam or have some experience in the legal field. Then the judge, like after looking uh, in your resume and like filling the paperwork and everything, he will decide if you're qualified to work in the court or not. So I became provisionally qualified in both federal and state courts after applying, you know, as an interpreter and the judge approving it. 
Is this something that is available for all languages or is it because uh, Arabic interpreters are scarce? I don't, I think it's available for a lot of languages. Like uh, in, in, legal, in the legal field, there is languages that do not have a certification. So you only go through the written exam, which is English, English exam, English proficiency. Mm. And this is when you become a registered interpreter. Lately, the Judicial Council decided that if you uh, want to become a provisionally qualified, at least you have to go through the ethic class and uh, pass the written exam. It's not like that for all Arabic interpreters. Some of them don't, don't even have those qualifications yet. They gave them some time to you know, maintain it and get it. But like, uh, I, I know that there is a lot of languages that become provisionally qualified just by having the experience because they are rare. The priority is always for certified. We, a lot of people, <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to say that we have a lot of certified. We had eight in the past in all California. And now I think we have like three. I'm talking about California certification. In but like, Arabic language? Yes. Oh, wow. But the rest of us are provisionally qualified. So I'm provisionally qualified for California, but certified in different states because Nobody got certified here for over, I'm going to say, 10 years in my language. And that's because there's, is there no assessment for it? No, that is an exam, but for some reason, we are not passing that exam. Oh, I, I know interpreters who are really very qualified, have their master in interpretation, and they do simultaneous in conferences. They have other credentials. They're not passing the exam. I don't know the reason. <laughs> I passed 90% from Arabic to English. From English to Arabic, I got 68 in sight. And they consider sight as two components. Other states will consider sight as one. And that's why I got certified. Because, you know, I passed the consecutive and simultaneous sight. One of the components, I did not get my 70%, which is wow. English to Arabic, which is my native language. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Must so we don't bad. know the reason. Super and that's racist. sad. Yeah. yeah. That's why I said, you know, I don't want to stay and wait and do the exam over and over when I know that nobody's passing. I'm going to move to another state and do it. And thank God they accepted my, you know, old exams and I became certified. Zainab, share with us after all of this, what do you currently do? Uh, right now, I'm a court interpreter, medical interpreter an educational interpreter because I also joined uh, the Orange County Department of Education. I'm working with Natalia as a like contractor. They consider me as an employee, but like uh, we are, I am a contractor on like uh, with them for education. I'm also medical because I got my core, uh, like so uh, CHI. I passed the core, uh, the first exam in CHI and I'm doing legal because we have uh, we don't have a lot of jobs for Arabic, so I have to work like I love legal more than others, but I have to work in other like fields too. And I decided to start my uh, coaching and uh, training business for Arabic interpreters in the legal field because we don't have any trainers right now. And uh, so, in addition, because of COVID, we are mostly like doing, sitting, doing Zooms. So I'm doing my training because I want a lot of other interpreters to pass. I love helping beginners. And also, uh, I'm, I got a contract from Egypt to train their interpreters. So I'm doing training in the state and outside the state. That's amazing. Oh, thank you. Zenab, what has been your biggest challenge 
during your career? And what do you think it taught you? I think my biggest challenge is to prove that I'm qualified enough to be certified. (laughs) (laughs) Because like, yeah, it's taking us, because we don't have any guidance, like in my language, I cannot compare my notes to, uh, to people like who are certified. Everybody is hiding, you know, his skills mm. and stuff. They don't want to share kind of, I'm not going to say everybody, most, most of the inter- Arabic interpreters, they are like, you know, we don't want to share, we're afraid. It's not, we don't have too many in the field. So mm-hmm. this is one of the challenges. Other challenge, I, I like learning and like whatever is, is new in the field, I will go and learn it. I'm, I'm daily learning something new, uh, keeping up. So like, uh, I think maintaining learning and working, it's another challenge. Yeah, I so, think that especially if there is not that many options out there and you're basically creating these options, yes. uh, I could imagine absolutely that it becomes challenging being able to just put the curriculum together. How, how does it work then um, with regards to recruiting Arabic potential interpreters? You know, it's a little bit vague. Some pe- people don't, like uh, who are recruiting us, they don't know what is certified, what is provisionally qualified, how to get the best in the field, what what are the certification available for our languages. So for uh, I'm like I get my customers through ATA website because some people think if you're an ATA member, you're qualified enough to do interpreting and translating. Translating, they don't know that there is a certificate also for it in translation. Mm-hmm. The, the three certificates that I know of here in the state for interpreters and translators are ATA, American Translation Association, and then the medical translation, uh, interpretation, which is CHI. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we have the court, which is through the Judicial Council. Those are the three exams available for us to get certified. And But like we have to educate the public, the, the attorneys and the hospitals and others to tell them what what are our credentials, how to choose uh, the right interpreter or translator for your business. This is another challenge we have that they don't know what's available, what is an associate member, what is a certified member, what is, you know, all this. So I'm also part of uh, the Arabic uh, division in ATA, a board member in the Arabic division. I work with Najat too as a committee member. Najat is uh, the association for interpreting. So like I'm trying to be involved in all those fields, I go to conferences in Europe and any any conference that is important for me to learn or to communicate and find potential customers or just learn what's new in the market, I go there. It's funny because uh, I was just talking about this whole notion of networking and collaborating. And I know that's one thing that my mentors have always told me is getting out there and getting informed and networking and joining events and uh, joining organizations or professional associations. So, you know, the fact that you are out there and you're doing this and you're being proactive to be able to make a difference in something that you've noticed there is a gap I think is is amazing. So, you know, kudos to you for going Thank out you. there. And Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I love being involved. I love helping others. I created uh, this Facebook group where I uh, like just share anything out there. 
Spanish groups or any other language groups that they have, I share it with my group. Any books that I find, any new trainings, I share it with the group. And then I am part of another like group on WhatsApp with Arabic and, uh, interpreters and translators. We we meet on Zoom for coffee breaks. We do training together. We practice. We exchange, you know, ideas and clarification for some vocabs. And I've been nominated nominated by them to win the Chia uh, in, Interpreter of the Year award. Oh this my god! So. Uh, networking is great. This is where I get work. (laughs) This is where I get friends. And this is where I exchange knowledge. Oh, I love that. This is where you get friends. Yes, definitely exchange knowledge. Zenab, how is what you're currently doing now different from how you imagined things would turn out? I think when when I started, I was a lonely bird. Like, you know, didn't know who to reach to and couldn't find friends that can in uh, support me from my language. So I had to reach out to different languages. Mm-hmm. Where I am now, I created those groups that can be support to me and others in my language. I think I filled the gap. I encouraged others who have seniority to help, you know, the younger generation or the beginners they started giving. Before, it was not like that. Everybody kept to himself. Now, when they saw that somebody else is giving and other languages are helping and taking us under their wings, they also started giving. So this is what I love about this period of time. With Zoom, it's much easier to contact others from different countries and from the States, from all over the States, all, but not only California. Right. Now yeah. we know each other. If I want somebody who is expert in this, somebody will nominate like or tell me this guy is good. I know this guy in, let's say, Massachusetts or <laughs> yeah. Egypt or yeah. So like now we have better networking. We didn't have that in the past. That's so true. You know, when I first uh, like wrote a little bit about translation uh, in the chronics uh, in 2000, I think in two in 88, it was like, they asked me, uh, what do you have to uh, do to become translator in Syria? They only had this government <laughs> certified translator that you have to apply and have some college degrees and stuff to do it. We didn't have any others. Uh, but later on, I think in 2005, they started uh, this uh, university degree to, be, to have master in interpretation and translation. But before that, we didn't have. It was... You know, if you're a linguist, you have to go through certain exams and through the government and they will, you can become a certified translator because they needed those for like embassies and, you know, paperwork and stuff for foreigners who live there. Now it's different. Now some people uh, get the, the nice thing about our career, it's either something you study and you can become, you know, master in it by having the master degree or you can have it as a hobby, which I I did it. It's my hobby. I, I worked on becoming a great interpreter. <laughs> this is what I want to be because I studied the English language. I became professional in that. I did study the translation interpretation by taking courses and classes. And I worked hard to reach where I wanted to be. I'm, I'm still working hard. <laughs> right. Yes. I want to be more, you know, <laughs> never enough. Never yeah. enough. Zenab, has there been a work-related moment in your life that has inspired you or has left 
a lasting impression in you that you can remember? The, the moment that I went to court uh, the first time and like having problem with dialect that caused the defendant to be in jail for a longer period of time. Oh my God. Inspired me to help this lady that was attacked. And because the other person knew English and she didn't, she lost the baby and she was new in the state. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to say. He took advantage of that. Having me saved her life from being in prison or her life and changed her life forever. And this inspired me to help others who I feel that you are a handicap. If you live in a country and you don't know the language, you always need the help of others. And if you did not help those people, they will lose a lot. It's not fair for them. That is definitely a great story. Zainab, what are some specific roadblocks to watch out for, for those that are aspiring to become court interpreters? Anything specific that you've learned that you would say, ah, if I only knew then what I know now. (laughs) I would say certification if I knew that certification is important Uh, a lot of people got certified by grandfathering I could have been one of them (laughs) I didn't I didn't really care much about certification because it was not a requirement uh, in 2000 when I first started in like the late 90s I had the chance to get certified a lot of times at that time and I would say Always seek certification because it's not easy to get and it's getting harder and harder every year. So if you're good at what you're doing, pursue a certification because it's very important. Great advice. What supports or resources are available that you would like to share with others? Right now, we have more resources. I created a YouTube channel. So I'm doing this Zoom with, like I told you, with my colleagues on WhatsApp on, and Facebook. And I uh, asked a lot of uh, interpreters and trainers to come and give us, uh, like, volunteer their time, give us free classes on YouTube. Uh, So, like, we did it on Zoom. We have Holly Mackison. We have Virginia Valencia. We have Edgar Hidalgo. We have Gloria. All those people who are well-known, there are scholars and what they're doing. I got them on my YouTube channel. They volunteered We are very grateful for them for their time and effort to help us out to make our career a better career and to educate us more and tell us, like, what should we do? Even though we've been doing this for a long time, but we need experts that have been training and teaching and we don't have them. So my YouTube channel is a great place to start. Also, if they are interested in becoming a member in my Facebook group, and I will say if you cannot find a trainer in your language, just go to the language neutral, go to the Spanish trainers. They are way advanced in that field. That's great advice. What new or future project are you currently working on that you would like us to get some insight in? I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm always working on new projects. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying my, uh, like, uh, to start like I already started my business training. So those are one of my few projects, training legal interpreters into getting their certification to help them, you know, being certified. I joined medical interpreters. We are also creating some classes, uh, even though CHI have great resources on their website and some Arabic trainers, but I also got some trainers from overseas to help us 
because we kind of lost a little bit of our language, the Arabic. We are not using it as much as we use the English. So we always need somebody from overseas that speaks Arabic on a daily basis for, you know, updating our language. I'm planning to do or to write a small book also, but this is a future plan. <laughs> I didn't start yet. Uh, I started with glossaries. So this is mostly what I'm doing, training. I'm trying to work on my book. That's, I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Zenab will be a future author. So I can't wait to be able to see that and, and be able to help you promote that even within your community. I think that, you know, um, it's, it's unbelievable just the amount of work that is obviously involved just in getting started with with projects such as these. But I do completely believe that once we see a need and if there's a gap and if we see that there is no other resources and we take the steps in order to fill that gap, that it comes back to us in a positive way. Yes. And, you know, because yes. it really is about help. And uh, I wanted to ask you uh, also, Zanab, what is it that you would find that helped you along the way? So once you decided that you needed training, if someone said, well, where do I start, Zanab? What type of training should I get? What would automatically come out of your mouth? Aside from your own training, what would you say? You know what? This really helped me. What helped me a lot going to college, uh, let, let's say if you want to start in the legal field, you have to know more about it. Go to college, get introduction to paralegal at least, uh, you know, join an association. I, I'm joining like paralegal association, women e-discovery. I'm part of those uh, association. They, even though I'm not a paralegal or somebody who work in e-discovery, I want to know what's new in the field. I join, like, just be involved. I do a lot of volunteer work for citizenship fairs and uh, hospitals and any kind of asylum or uh, women abuse shelters. You have to be volunteer. You have to join associations. You have to be involved in your community. This is how you start communicating with others, learning and updating your language and skills. And then trainings come Next, like if you cannot find a new language, go find another language. Find the best trainers and the trainers who have been there for a long, long time. The first trainer I found was, unfortunately, he passed away. His name was um, Joe Hernandez. He took me under his wing. He was doing this training. I was pregnant and I said, I cannot travel all the way like for two hours to attend your training. Do you think you can help me? And he sent me his material. He said, I will sell you the material for, let's say, a certain amount of price and instead of you coming and this will help you. This is what helped me pass my written exam because I had no idea about what's there in the written exam, what I'm going to expect to do or write or what should I study. Like they will tell you study uh, SAT words, study legal vocab. So you have to study the whole dictionary. It took me five years just to know what should I study and what to do. I don't want others to go through this. Right. I want them to, you know, to get all this in a minimum time and less. It, I think I paid thousands of dollars in those classes to find out the right person, the right trainers. I don't want you to do that. I want you to get to learn from others and make your road shorter and less expensive. Definitely the less expensive, please, but absolutely <laughs> right to be able to get and achieve what it is that you're striving for. 
Well, you have done so much, Zanab, for your community. You continue to do more. And, you know, it's such a pleasure to be able to speak with you on this platform and have you share a little bit about your knowledge, have you share a little bit about your insight and resources where you can help others. And at this point in the podcast, I open it up so that you can share where our listeners can find out more about you and the work that you do. So here you can feel free to share all your different handles on social media or maybe the names even of uh, YouTube. Yeah, the nice thing about me, because I've been there for a long time, <laughs> if, you write, if you type my name on Google, you can find all my, you know, everything because I'm, I'm there on the social media since, like they say, 2000, uh, for a very long time. So you can find me on LinkedIn, you can find me on Facebook, you can find me on YouTube, even WikiLeaks. <laughs> which I am not proud of, but <laughs> really? you can find everywhere. Yeah, when I worked in the central bank with the European delegation, there was an issue and WikiLeaks, you know, got that, uh, you know, <laughs> correspondent. <laughs> was it, was, is it a bad thing or did you want to no, share No, it was a letter of complaint. My, oh. I, I wrote a letter of complaint about how I was, how I was treated from one of the experts there and they got it <laughs> oh interesting <laughs> i don't know how to erase it <laughs> imagine of my privacy you know <laughs> absolutely oh my goodness well yeah. then you are definitely everywhere so on facebook you can find uh, my uh, group that is for interpreters and tra- like uh, translators for it's called the league uh, legal and court interpretation for arabic speakers Perfect. And my name on Facebook is Zaini Brainy. So a lot of people know me by Zaini Brainy. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there for a long time. I don't want to change it. Everybody know me as Zaini Brainy. And I'm fine with that. <laughs> I love that. Wonderful. Well, thank you so very much, Senab. I think this was all excellent information and definitely something that someone can gather and use immediately and go out there and try to take some actions in order to get into the field or at least begin to get into the field. So thank you so much for sharing your story on this platform. I will have all the links in the episode notes for your different social media platforms. I won't include WikiLeaks though, but uh, (laughs) I will for everything else. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's a really pleasure an honor to be on your broadcast. You're doing a great job. I really love your broadcasts. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Okay. So if you did your homework, you noticed that Zenab talks about strategic volunteering, about joining professional associations, even if they're not in your field, about getting training and becoming a part of a community of professionals. She talks about typing her name in a Google search to know whether she's got a digital footprint, whether that be positive or negative. There's a term for all of this, and it's called personal branding. And that's what I wanted to share with you today. You see, a couple of months ago, I was asked to be a presenter on the remote interpreting series hosted by Cross-Cultural Communications and Blue Horizon. And guess what the topic was? That's right personal branding. The webinar was completely free and it took place on September 9th. There were over 500 attendees and the engagement and feedback were absolutely incredible. 
in the coming months, I'll be developing further material to share with you regarding this topic, which I'm absolutely fascinated about. But for now, know that season two of the Brand the Interpreter podcast will focus always on sharing tips and strategies specific to language professionals and, of course, on telling your stories. Please know that your support and engagement has encouraged me to push past my own comfort zones, which in turn has given me a rush of creativity. So thank you for that. In the meantime, continue to engage on social media with me. And if you're interested in watching this free webinar I just mentioned, make sure to check out the show notes or visit interpretertraining-online.com. That's interpretertraining, all one word, online.com. You can also find it on my website at www.brandtheinterpreter.com. I hope you have an amazing rest of the week. And remember, tell your story. Brand the Interpreter. Till next time, guys. Bye-bye.